What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB on Twitter. That is where we post all of our new content, podcasts, articles, news and notes. Everything that we share out does get reshared from that account. So make sure you guys are following. Even though it's the offseason, going to have a lot of content that is going to be ramped up starting in the month of November. I've talked about it throughout October. It's been kind of a month off to kind of decompress for everybody. But we are going to really, really start ramping it up, especially on the written side as well in the month of November. So make sure you guys are checking us out over there. Sportsethos.com, obviously, is the mothership for you guys to check out across all major sports and find links to all of our content over there. We are going to conclude the third base wrap-ups today. We will talk about these guys again and even more players that we haven't touched on over the last couple of days later on in the offseason but we're talking about the big names over these last couple of days, the top 20. And today we are going to be going over a couple of guys who did not finish inside of the top 20 in terms of Yahoo's rankings, which is pretty standard. I think there might be some differences across Yahoo and CBS and ESPN and whatnot, but they're pretty close. We're going to talk about some guys who were outside of those top 23rd basemen today and kind of conclude guys that I still think are interesting and have a lot of fantasy juice, but just didn't quite crack the top 20 for one reason or another. So let's start with Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman, first off, depending on where you're playing, probably is going to have third base eligibility next year, but it won't be in the NFBC site for sure. He just played there 18 times this season, 75 times at second base. He was a DH 27 times, and then obviously 18 at third. So for sure, second base you have for Gorman, and then depending on your website you play on, you probably have third base. If you're Yahoo, ESPN, and those sites, I think you do. Uh, NFBC, you will not have Nolan Gorman at third base next year, though. What he did for you this season in 119 games was really solid. 27 homers, 59 runs, 76 ribbies, 7 stolen bases, and a 236 batting average. We've talked about the Cardinals a few different times over the course of these position reviews already. We talked about Wilson Contreras. We talked about Nolan Arenado. We're going to talk about somebody else a little bit later on today as well. They're a good offense. <clears throat> Even though the team stuck, the team was terrible. The offense was pretty strong. You're looking at Nolan Gorman in 119 games, still drove in 76 runs and had 27 homers. <clears throat> There's a lot of examples of those kinds of players in St. Louis's lineup. Gorman is somebody that I think this is probably about as good as we are going to see from him in terms of a fantasy season. In terms of the actual volume, it could go up a little bit because he only played 120 games. If he's playing 130, 140, then those volume stats will go up a little bit. But like on a per-game basis... I think this is probably about what Nolan Gorman is going to give you. Now, there's also the other side of that coin that he's 23 years old. He could still get a lot better and better. And it's, it's possible, but I think once you're looking at this kind of pace, 27 homers over 120 games, like a 35 home run pace, I don't really see him ever surpassing that, but that's still pretty damn good in that lineup. If you are getting even like a 25 to 30 home run pace, Nolan Gorman, he can chip in some steals. Depending on your site, he'll be multi-position eligible. He's somebody that we shouldn't write off, uh, for sure, just because he didn't finish so high up in the overall rankings for the season. He was the 22nd ranked third baseman, if you look at Yahoo's rankings, which is still fine. If he'd play the whole season, then you probably would be looking at you know a top 15 or so player at worst. Now, when he got into the lineup, 
most of the time he's batting third, which is a really good sign going forward. 53 times he started at third base, or excuse me, at third base, at the third spot in the order, not at third base. Third spot in the lineup. Uh, 16 times he was fifth, 21 times he was sixth, and 14 times seventh. Sprinkled around a little bit in the other spots, but predominantly the number three hitter. If that sticks, then you've got to think these power numbers, and especially the volume stats, the runs and homers, will probably stick. So I, I don't have any problem with looking at Nolan Gorman next year as somebody that I, I will have a lot of interest in, as long as we're not pushing the price up too high, which is kind of the case with everybody, right? I'm interested in everybody to a certain point, and at a certain price, everybody can have value. But I, I just hope we're not pushing him up too, too high. And I, I, like I said, I don't expect him to be, but if people start to push him up inside of the top maybe 200 picks or so, that's where I would start to lose a little bit of interest uh, in Nolan Gorman. Now, there have been five early drafts, four early drafts, I think, actually, that have gone on so far. Nolan Gorman, his ADP is 191. If he's going in that range, then you'll take him, absolutely, regardless of your eligibility. Close to pick 200. You can probably bank on 30 homers if he's healthy, probably looking at 80 to 90 RBI if he's healthy as well. And like I said, he can chip in some stolen bases for you. So there's a lot of value, uh, I think, in Nolan Gorman in that great lineup as somebody who, despite their, despite the flaws, like 32% strikeout rate is a big flaw. The 236 batting average is not great. Everything else, I think, is pretty pretty good uh, if we're just projecting for next year. Still a really young guy, and he could even surpass what I'm expecting, which is maybe 30 homers if he's healthy the whole year. He could go for 35 to 40 range. Like Realistically, it's impossible. To hit 27 in 119 games at age 23, we don't really know exactly what the power can look like going forward. A 241 ISO, really good number there. Also really strong walk rate. Like overall, there are a lot of things to like about Nolan Gorman. It's really just, like I said about everybody, with the price. And the price at this point seems right if you're getting him around pick 190 to 200. That's very reasonable. Currently the 24th third baseman going off the board if you are looking at NFBC. And I know he won't have NFBC eligibility next year at third, but for now the site is still in 2023 mode. Let's talk to Brian Hayes. Brian Hayes was actually pretty surprisingly good this season. He's not somebody that I was expecting to have a lot of interest in coming into the year, and I didn't really. But in his just shy of 500 at-bats, he gave you 15 homers, 10 steals, and a 271 batting average. That right there, that's pretty solid, right? Brian Hayes is somebody that I think we were probably having higher expectations than we should have when he first came up. 2020, over that short sample size, he batted 376. The power looked real. He looked incredible. And then over the last couple seasons, 2021 and 2022, didn't see a lot of power. His speed was okay. Batting average was eh, all right in the 250 kind of range. But this year, we actually saw him take a step forward in the power department, hit 15 homers. He did take a bit of a step back in terms of stolen bases, only 10, which is kind of weird. You were kind of just, uh, we all were kind of just expecting everybody to add a few steals onto their total from last year. It didn't happen. Like, look at a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who had double-digit steals in 22 and then didn't steal at all in 23. I know it's obviously a very different type of player, but... We don't really know what to expect coming into the year. Hayes going down in stolen bases, admittedly, is not ideal. But the power going up, the batting average going back up to 271, really good stuff. Strikeout rate went down. The walk rate also did go down, but I'll take that with the strikeout rate going down below 20%. There's a lot of value in Cabrian Hayes. I don't think really in an on-base percentage format you're going to see too much value for him. But in your standard 5x5, five five, I think Hayes is going to be pretty decent. He's not going to be terribly expensive. And in these early drafts so far, he's going to pick 171 off the board. You know, that's that's probably fine. You know, for third base, third base, once it dries up at the top, those really elite names in the top 10 or so, it starts to fall off a little bit. 
if you can get Hayes as somebody that you're not really even thinking about, like around 11 or around 12 third baseman there, somebody that you're pretty confident slotting into your lineup as long as he's healthy every single week, the, the real downfall is the lineup around him, which is not great in Pittsburgh, but what he's doing, like I said, 15 homers, 10 steals in the 270 average, playing only 75% of the season, you'll take that. That's potentially a 20 home run guy if he plays the whole season. Maybe you sneak up to 15 or so stolen bases. I don't think that he is amazing by any stretch of the imagination offensively. He's really, really, really good defensively, which will obviously keep him on the field as much as he's possible, possibly able to. I think he's fine. I don't think that there's really too much to say one way or the other. I think that if you are at this point in your draft, round 11, round 12, it doesn't hurt to take a shot on Cabrian Hayes if you are kind of, quote-unquote, punting the third base position, uh, position. I think that there is some value to be had in him. I just wouldn't expect him to keep uh, growing these totals so much in terms of home runs specifically. I don't know that the power is amazing. 182 ISO, you're looking at a 453 slug. Not great, not terrible. You might be able to sneak 20 homers out of him in a full season, but I wouldn't expect him to jump up to like 25 homers and say, well, he had six last year and then 15, and then it's going to jump again. Like, I might jump again, but I think we can probably look at what he did this year and say, similarly to Gorman, like on a per-game basis, this is probably about what I would expect from Cabrian Hayes going forward. Let's talk about a very fun name here, Mr. Ellie De La Cruz. I don't know what to think about Dela Cruz this season. When he first came up and he lit the world on fire originally, I was thinking, well, this guy's going to the top 10 next year. Like, he, he's going to be a top 10 pick. And that was originally my stance on him. Now, it's not quite at that point, but he is going ADP-wise 19.25. He's a top 20 draft pick, and it's pretty expensive. And I think it, I don't know if I really love it. We got the whole offseason to really think about it, although I do have a draft next week uh, when I'm in Arizona. We'll be starting up a draft. Got to think Ellie's going to go in the first couple rounds there, but I just don't think I'm going to be taking him. He is a weird case. He is a definitely a weird case. If you look at what he did this season, 13 homers, 35 stolen bases in a 235 average. Now, 35 this season, you'd think, ah, 35. Okay, a lot of people had 35. He played 98 games. Played 98 games. If you play a whole season, if you get a whole season out of Ellie De La Cruz, what are we looking at, folks? 70, 65 stolen bases to go along with 20, 25 homers in that lineup. It could be a it could be a blast off of a season from Ellie. Like he could realistically return first round value, and that's why people are pushing him up to where they are. But there's also a lot to worry about. A 33, almost 34 percent strikeout rate is atrocious. That 235 average led to a 300 on base percentage, which is okay. You know, 65 points above the batting average. That's that's fine. But considering the batting average is going to be relatively low because of the strikeout rate, I don't know that he is somebody that you can really trust, especially in that kind of uh, a draft capital slot in an OBP format. I think that that's probably where you're playing with fire because I don't think that he is somebody that's going to have a terribly high batting average. Like, I think you're probably looking at the 260 to 270 range, best case scenario with that kind of strikeout rate. We saw him get by in the minor leagues with a 25 to 30, sometimes even above 30% strikeout rate. Definitely a lower level of competition he's facing. We're talking high A, uh, even low A. Wherever he was, 31, 30, 31% strikeout rate, he can get by because those pitchers are not that great. So even if he's striking out 30% of the time, 50% of the time he's putting the ball in play, at least, at least, like 400 batting average he had in the complex league in 2021. It was 302 at high A. It was 305 uh, at double A. Like, he, he has gotten by, but it's because he's facing lower competition, I think. I wouldn't look at Ellie De La Cruz and say, well, he hit 300 in the minors. He can hit 300 in the majors. 
I don't, I don't think that that's ever going to be the case with him. Maybe it is a few years from now. Again, I shouldn't really put him into any kind of box at this point. Ellie De La Cruz is literally 21 years old, has not turned 22 yet, which will come in a couple of months. Next year will be his age 22 season, and we could see him absolutely skyrocket. He'll have shortstop, and he'll have third base eligibility. That's a really nice plus to have. I've also made the argument that in the early rounds, it doesn't matter so much if the guy you're taking in the first round has multi-position eligibility. Like I, I think it's really valuable to some extent, but also we shouldn't overplay it, probably. It does help. But uh, I wouldn't look at that and say, oh, well, now we've got to push him up because he's got two positions. I think you've got to kind of draft for face value in those first couple of rounds. And I think Ellie is likely to give you 25 homers, 60 stolen bases, and probably at 255 batting average is what I'm going to say. I've not done my projections for the Cincinnati Reds yet. But I think that's probably what we're looking at, 25, 65, and 255. We'll keep the fives across the board there. In terms of the counting stats, it could get crazy. He had 67 runs in 98 games, and that was even with him being moved to the bottom of the order for a decent chunk of the year as well. Not, maybe not a decent chunk, but over the last few weeks of the season, he was not somebody that was really getting uh, those at-bats in the top third of the order. His, the spot where he was most of the year was 41 times that uh, he was batting fourth, 22 times he was a leadoff hitter. I think he's probably somebody that is going to be kind of rotating around that range because I don't know exactly what the Reds want out of him. He's not really a typical leadoff hitter because of the high strikeout rate and because of the fairly low on base, but the stolen bases and the speed do make him a fairly typical leadoff hitter. I think he's probably a number two hitter. He's probably a number two, maybe a number three hitter, and I guess that will depend on what the Reds do this offseason because they probably have an extra piece or two in that infield that they don't need to carry over forever. They're probably going to trade Jonathan India because there's just too many mouths to feed there in terms of playing time. But Deli De La Cruz is going to play. You know, there's I've seen the talk online about like what if he has a Kalanick type arc and he really struggles. He struggles again next year. Well, then maybe he goes down, but I just can't really see it. I don't know that Cincinnati is going to want to do that now that he has played a hundred games in the big leagues, nearly as ninety eight. He will obviously start the year with the team next year. If he has a bad few weeks and they send him down, that's just going to kill his confidence. Like It would have to be a really prolonged stretch where Ellie De La Cruz is struggling to the point where I would say, okay, maybe he does need to go down. It would have to be a couple months because he's the kind of profile where he can run very hot and very cold. That's what happens with these high strikeout rate guys. They can go two weeks and they can strike out 15 times in those two weeks, 20 times, and then the next two weeks after that, you see them hit six homers. It's really a hot and cold kind of profile, which is why I'm kind of generally avoiding him in the second round. I know originally I was saying he's probably a first rounder next year. I'm not in that same boat anymore. I think where I believe his value will lie probably is third slash fourth round, and I don't see him lasting to those points in drafts. Maybe in a shallow league, if you're talking a 10 or a 12, maybe you get him in a 12 in the third round. But based on these early returns, people are going to be pushing up the board. People are pushing up a lot of players, and there's another guy we're going to talk about here in a second. We'll get to him right now. I'll jump over somebody else, and we'll talk about Royce Lewis right now because it's a similar kind of thing with Royce Lewis. I tweeted it out earlier today. Royce Lewis currently has an ADP. We're talking very small sample size, just a few drafts. He's going as an ADP of 28. That is absurd. Well, let's start with what he did this season, and then we'll talk about next year. Because Royce Lewis admittedly was excellent, and he did not play a lot. 58 games, you're looking at 15 homers, 6 steals, and a 309 batting average. You're looking at an OPS that is 921. Really, really, really excellent stuff. Strikeout rate was good at 23. Walk rate was very good at 8.4%. 
Now, the problem I have with Royce Lewis mostly is the health. And I heard it talked about um, recently on an episode of The Sleeper and the Bust, which is the Fangraphs fantasy podcast. Justin Mason and Paul Sport, excellent podcast, one of my favorites. And they're talking about this, and I think they're kind of going back and forth. And I don't know, I think Paul is more likely to want to take Royce Lewis earlier on, Justin more on the, on the weight side of that. And I'd have to agree with Justin, I think. I, I just can't get behind drafting him in the second round. And I tweeted this out. His ADP, he's going ahead of Francisco Lindor, Marcus Simeon, and Jose Altuve. That's where you lose me. Like, the skills are there. The raw skills are absolutely there. We saw 15 homers in 58 games. If you want to do rough math and kind of just triple that, you're looking at probably like a 40 home run pace. You're looking at like a 20 steal pace batting over 300. There's a lot to like. 155 WRC plus. He was excellent in the playoffs. He had four homers in six games. And I know that, especially because I'm a Blue Jay fan and I got to see it up close and personal. The dude can rank. The dude is incredible. At the same time, are we drafting Jazz Chisholm in the second round? Because that's where he can return value hypothetically if he's healthy. Absolutely not. There's there's no reason to do that. We know that the track record is a bunch of injuries. And if he's healthy, he's great, but he's not been healthy. It's the same exact argument with Royce Lewis. If he was healthy, if I knew I was getting 140 games out of him, he probably is a second rounder. But I don't know that. I don't know if I could trust him as far as I could actually physically throw him myself. So at that point, second round Royce Lewis is an easy, easy fade if that's where his ADP does slot in. Now I'm talking four or five drafts. There are going to be thousands and thousands of fantasy drafts and ADPs will be very different come February, March from where they are right now. This is D-Gen season for drafting. People like myself and people who are in the quote-unquote industry, people who talk and write about the sport, want to kind of get into the drafting and you know we have stuff to talk about and it's also very fun for us. And There's a few reasons to draft. You can kind of exploit market inefficiencies early on. People don't really know where to take a player. This is one of those market inefficiencies, Royce Lewis going in the second round. He shouldn't be. This is an absolute product of his playoff performance and how he did in the second half. I just don't think that there's going to be value in that pick. That's what I, I try and aim for best I can, especially with these young guys. Is there value in the draft slot? If there's not, then there's probably no reason to take him. Ellie Dela Cruz is going to fall in that same kind of boat. Even though I'm not as worried about Ellie Dela Cruz, the price is incredibly concerning uh, in the top 20 picks, and he'll go in the first round. Like Ellie Dela Cruz, if 20 is the average, there will be people who take him 12, 15 at the end of the first round. You're killing any value you potentially have in that pick. You draft a guy like even a couple years ago. You're getting Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt. And look, look at last year, Corbin Carroll. In a lot of cases, you were getting Corbin Carroll in the 50s, 60s, 70 kind of range. He did get pushed up later on in NFBC drafts. But if you got him there, you got great value out of it. If you were to take Corbin Carroll last year in the first round, even though he returned first-round value, it's not a great draft pick because you didn't need to take him that high. And maybe it will get to the point with this ADP this year where you need to take Royce Lewis that high. But I'd make the argument of why not wait around on Lindor or Semyon or Altuve or any of these guys that are going below him that have a proven track record. In a couple of cases, Lindor and Semyon in particular, we have a health track record as well. That one in particular is bonkers. Like Semyon is the – and I know previous health is not an indicator of future health. But when you get somebody playing 160 games every year versus a guy who can barely, barely suit up for 50 games, he's played 58 this year, always been hurt, always Lewis, always. How can you take him, even if there's potential for more upside, over a guy that you know is going to be playing, unless there's something that happens out of the blue, absolutely out of the blue, 
you're getting 150, 160 games out of Semyon, out of Lindor. Altuve, probably 130 to 150 range. We saw him miss time this year because he was hurt, came back, was really good. He might have actually missed time twice, but Jose Altuve was still incredible. Like, I'll easily take Altuve over Royce Lewis at this point, and I don't see how you can make an argument against it. But according to the early drafters, there is an argument you can make against it, and then I, this isn't to say that I don't like Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis is an incredible per-game talent, but we've also seen incredible per-game talents in Luis Robert, and Luis Robert kind of figured it out this season that was healthy, but we saw that with Eloy Jimenez, Jazz Chisholm. You know, Lewis's teammate Byron Buxton was brought up on that Fangraphs episode. Are we really drafting Byron Buxton and Jazz Chisholm in these rounds? Because, well, if they're healthy, they're going to return that value. No, absolutely not. You need to aim for stability in those first couple of picks, in my opinion, rather than shooting for the moon. Now, if you took Corbin Carroll in the second or third round last year, you're probably pretty happy. But how often is that going to pan out? I don't know. I'm not willing to bank on it, especially in the second round, especially drafting early. You want to probably make sure that you have as healthy, as secure of a team as you can possibly have if you are putting together a fantasy baseball roster at this point of the season. The, reg- the 2023 season still not even done yet. Can't be drafting any guys where there's any kind of question of injury, really. To take Royce Lewis in the second round feels very foolish to me, and I don't recommend you guys doing it uh, in your own drafts. Let's talk about Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker was somebody that was generally considered kind of a disappointment this season. And I don't really understand it. I think that he did pretty much what you could have hoped for. He batted 276. He had 16 homers and seven stolen bases. I think it's because he's being compared to these other incredible, incredible performances that we saw from Carroll and you go and Gunnar Henderson. You look back last year at Julio and Bobby Witt. Was it to that level? No, but you're gonna people are shitting on a guy for in his rookie season playing three quarters of the year, hit 16 homers and batted 276. I mean, there's a lot to like about the profile for Jordan Walker. Good, good, strong walk rate at 8%. The strikeout rate at 22 is pretty, pretty much in line with what he did in the minors and actually lower than he was in the minors at some points. 116 WRC plus, he's already 16% better hitter than the average player in baseball. Now, Jordan Walker, coming into the year with third base eligibility, he did not play at third base because they obviously have Nolan Arenado. They had Gorman play there as well. So that third base eligibility we saw from Walker last year is gone. When we do our preview shows, he will not be in the third base preview. He will be in the outfield preview. 93 times he was in right, 19 times in left, and he DH'd seven times as well. You got to think he is going to generally get a little bit better and probably will not be sent down again. I don't know why they sent him down. They should have let him tough it out at the big league level. We saw a lot of stupid decisions from St. Louis in the months of April and May with Wilson Contreras potentially going to right field and Tyler O'Neill never playing and all this nonsense that we saw with Walker getting sent down. I don't know that we're going to see that same level of dysfunction. I think we're probably going to see Walker just get put out there. The kid gloves gone. We're going to see him play 140, 150 games, and we're probably looking at 25 dingers, probably looking at 15 to 20 steals. And then that batting average at every level has been really good. The 29 games he played at AAA, it was 239. Other than that, at every level, at low A, 374, high A, 292, double A, it was 306. And in the big leagues here in his first attempt at playing Major League Baseball, he batted 276, which is well above the average for any player. So I think we have to look at Jordan Walker, even though I know it's a third base look back. It's because he was eligible there last year, to be fair. That's why I'm including him in this group. But he is somebody that we are going to have to look at as a really, really, really strong uh, candidate for 2024 outfield. And I'm just going to take a look at where he is going in these drafts right now. And he still will have third base eligibility if you are drafting right now. 
which is not something you should look at for next season. If you're on the NFBC site drafting, they have not updated the player eligibility yet. So make sure you are not taking him, assuming he's a third baseman. He is an outfielder. ADP right now of 123 feels very reasonable for somebody that could really pop off in a great lineup. That lineup should not be undersold how good they are. Definitely somebody that you are definitely a lineup that you want to have a piece of. And whether it's Jordan Walker or whether it's Arenado discounted a little bit or Contreras or whoever you're getting, I try and have one or two St. Louis Cardinals on your team every single year, honestly, because even in their worst of worst years, like 2023 was, I still saw a lot of fantasy-relevant players in that lineup. It was not the offense that killed them. It was their pitching. And that's something that we will harp on here throughout the offseason to remind everybody not to fade Cardinals unnecessarily because, well, the team won 72 games and we're the worst team in the Central. Fade the pitchers, if anything. Do not fade the players like Jordan Walker, who, you know, give him a full season, and I think there's a very good chance we see a top 50, top 70 kind of fantasy year out of him. What's I going to talk about one more player today to wrap up third base, and that is my hometown boy here. Well, I guess he's not from my hometown, but he's been playing in my hometown the last couple of years, and that is Matt Chapman. Holy shit is the only thing I can really say to describe Matt Chapman's season. He finished off with 54 RBI, 66 runs, a 240 batting average, which is actually an improvement over the last few years, and 17 home runs, four stolen bases as well. It's incredible how much the first month of the season carried him. It looked like he was going to be ridiculous. I did an appearance on the In This League podcast uh, with Bogman and the Welsh earlier in the season, and we were doing some player debates. And the first, I think it was two weeks into the season we did this, maybe three weeks, it was Matt Chapman and Alex Bregman. And I was pretty damn close to taking Matt Chapman the rest of the season because of how hot he had been at that point. That would have been a tragic mistake to get rid of Chapman for Bregman because the rest of the season was just abominable. So the month of May, or excuse me, the month of April, and I think there was one game as well in March, maybe two, you're looking at five homers, 21 RBI, 17 runs scored, and a 384 batting average for Matt Chapman. I'm going to read out his home runs and batting average in the remaining months of the season outside of April. So in May, two homers and a 202 average. June, three homers, 200 average. July, four homers, 247. August, one homer, 197. And September and October, two homers, 167. The second half of the year, he had five homers. He drove in, wait for it, 15 runs in the second half he drove in, and he batted 205. Some people might want to hear some traditional or some non-traditional numbers because those are just, well, you know, the basic ones, the homers and the batting average. If you look a little bit deeper, it just gets worse and worse and worse. He was an 88 WRC plus in the second half, 12% worse than the average player in baseball. It wasn't because he was terribly unlucky either. He had a 280 Babbitt. It's well within the range of regular. Most people have a Babbitt in the 300 to 320 range. It's hard to find an exact like league average Babbitt because it does vary player to player. Put you know 280 batting average on balls in play. You should do better than what you what you got at a Chapman in the second half, a 200 batting average. He was just awful. Like you can look at a lot of different metrics, a 296 WOBA. But the RBIs are what really stick out to me. And I know a lot of people, myself included, harp on about how that is a team stat. But there gets a point where you got to say, well, Jesus Murphy, this guy, 15 runs driven in in the whole second half of the season. It's not just the team at that point. I mean, that's you, 52 games. You should be driving in more than 15 runs. The first half of the season, 88 games, 39. I know I keep going back to the ribbies with him. 
it's just so shocking. I mean, I know the team generally was disappointing. The team offensively, you got down years from Vladimir Guerrero. Boba Shett was hurt. Springer's not what he used to be. Varsha was trash. But this is really, really, really shocking production from Matt Chapman. Now, he's a free agent. He is not coming back to Toronto. I would be, I'd be shocked if he comes back to Toronto based on the, you know, the rumblings I've heard around the media. I don't know what I'm going to think of him. I know that he's going to get paid. Matt Chapman is going to get paid probably very handsomely, probably somewhere in the 15 to $20 million range because it's a weak free agent class. He plays all-world caliber defense, although it's not as stellar as it once was. He's still an excellent top three third baseman in the game. I'd say top three, top five at worst. So he's going to get paid. It's a matter of where he gets paid, where he goes. If he goes to the Yankees, well, it'd be kind of interesting, I think, because he'd be probably batting in the four or five slot in that lineup, maybe five, six. But I think it'd be a higher batting slot than he did have in Toronto a lot of the year because the Blue Jays, you know, there was a joke that was made on uh, Toronto Sports Radio, the the Fan 590, which um, is the, the Toronto affiliate essentially of the Blue Jays for I'm, I'm not I'm not describing it right they are owned by the team they are the radio station that broadcasts Blue Jay games and they made a joke at one point Jeff Blair who is a longtime Toronto writer who was on the show he said the reason Matt Chapman's batting eighth is because there's no 12 spot in the lineup it's true Chapman would have been as low as you could possibly put it. if there was 13 spots in the order you'd put him 13th probably a lot of the time because of how piss poor he was like you had him out there for his defense but offensively, he was a true liability. So he'd have to go to a really good either offensive environment in terms of ballpark, or he'd have to be slotted into a really good lineup for me to have any kind of interest in him really for next season. At this point, his ADP is 272, which is pretty, pretty reasonable. But it got to a point in 15 teamers down the end of the season where, and this is a draft champion format that specifically that I'm thinking of where you don't have um, pickups throughout the season. You draft and then that's it. I was literally sitting him down the stretch. Like, I could not start Matt Chapman for the last month or so of the year. Is that going to be that bad again? I don't think so, honestly. I think it'll be better than what we saw. Just the power, is, is it going to disappear like that again? Eh, I don't know. We're talking about a guy who has generally every year been a 25 to 35 homer guy. 17 homers. I think it's probably more random than anything else. He'll probably get back up to the 2025 range next year. I do want to reserve full judgment until we know where he's going. If we know he's going to a very good team, then I'm going to like him a lot more. If he takes a lot of money and play, go for a bad team, and he's, you know, I can't even think of an example. Like if he goes to the Nationals or he goes to the Rockies or something, I, I don't know where he's going to go necessarily. But if he goes to a bad lineup, then I'm not going to have a ton of faith. He put up 54 RBI in what was still a pretty decent offense. I know the Blue Jays did underperform. If you look at the statistics as a team, they weren't terrible. Chapman just really did not perform the way he was supposed to. So let's hold off judgment for 2024 until we fully know where he's going to be. He may come back to Toronto. I doubt it. But let's just see uh, where the chips fall until we really assess Matt Chapman for next season. But 2023, unmitigated disaster if you drafted him. You probably hated yourself for a lot of the year because it was tough. You couldn't really drop him either. Like, after that first month of the season, you you know, like, what he's capable of. And is it going to be that good always, a 390 batting average? You know, no, obviously not. But you know that he's capable of, you know, he's a 36 homer, 102 run season under his belt in a huge ballpark in Oakland. You know he's capable of more. So he's just somebody that you couldn't really drop. He was a really tricky fantasy player in 2023. 
Let's hope he can turn it around in 2024, whatever jersey he is wearing. But that will do it for us. That'll do for third base. We'll get back to third base probably at some point in February slash March to kind of tee up the position again. But for now, we are going to move it over again one spot in the infield. Starting on Monday, we'll talk shortstops most likely. There's a chance that I might do some early ADP um, analysis because we have seen what we've seen here with Royce Lewis going in the first two rounds, and I might just want to go through the board and talk about some either really good prices or really bad prices. Uh, but either way, we'll talk about that at some point next week and also get into our shortstop reviews. If you have any questions, please hit me up over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Also, Ethos Fantasy BB. We're posting new content there every single day if you guys want to come and check it out. Even through the offseason, we will have stuff for you here every day. SportsEthos.com is obviously the website for you guys to be checking out. But that'll do it. That is the weekend. We'll be back here on Monday. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night. And cheers. Cheers.